All right, guys, this is the voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. I'm Brandon Cork, and we are joined with a special guest today, the Golden Blue Dude. All right, yeah. Welcome, buddy. Thanks for joining us. Hey, man, anytime somebody wants to get me in front of camera, I'm not going to turn it down. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right, guys, so uh, before we really jump into it, we just want to thank everyone who's listening. Please follow, subscribe, and feel free to let us know what you think about this episode on social media. Just look for the Voice of Motown podcast, and definitely look for Gold and Blue Dude as well on all social media accounts. Um, So yeah, let's just jump into it. You can find Gold and Blue Dude on YouTube. He puts out a lot of good content. And obviously, we're going to be talking a lot about WVU sports today. But before we do all of that, we want to get to know a little more about you, Golden Blue Dude. So let's just jump right into it. When did you become a Mountaineer fan? Are you from West Virginia? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was uh, I was actually born in, in the Women's and Children's Hospital uh, in Charleston right there. So I was, I was born a West Virginia fan. But I remember the first year... And it's very coincidental. The very first year that I actually brooded for West Virginia because I knew what football was, I knew what a brand was, I knew what I was watching, 1988. So the very first year that I knew knew that I was a West Virginia fan was the year that we went to the national championship, you know? So uh, that was pretty awesome. That's a great year. And that, that's the year uh, Tyler and I were both born in, too. So yeah, uh, we like to think that they went to that national championship game be- just because, you know, we were put on this earth. <laughs> Joking, of course. <laughs> Never know. Never know. What uh you got me hooked instantly though. 88, I was hooked. Oh yeah. That's a great year. I mean, Major Harris, um, Bo, Bo Orlando, you really can't pass up that team. Some great names. Um, man. Uh, and I though Major Harris too, I always say he was a guy who was too early for the league. Cause I think, you know, you put yes. him in the NFL now. You know, he's he's Lamar Jackson, maybe even a better version of Lamar Jackson. Well, a lot, what a lot of people don't realize is um, the game has evolved. Uh, I'm talking about the NFL to where coaches now actually know how to block for guys like that. Back back then, he wasn't used to his full potential in the NFL because they didn't know the right blocking screen, uh, you know, schemes for a guy that's, you know, he can throw it and he, he can pass it. You know, how do we block for him? He's all over the place now. You know, they know the schemes, the blocking patterns, you know, all the stuff they need to do. So if you were to drop Major Harris in today's NFL, he would be just fine. Absolutely. I think so, too. And it would be exciting to watch. Um, So when did you start creating uh, content on YouTube? Uh, Was it always WV Sports related? Uh, You know what? Yes, it was. I started actually creating uh, August 2019. The way that happened is I've always been a college football nerd, a nut, whatever you want to call it. And whenever I have a conversation, it eventually leads to college football. I don't know how, it just does. So my family's like, look, we love you, man. We love you, but you you need an outlet for this. And so my brother got me to watch YouTube, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with a YouTuber named Uncle Lou. He's a, he, he's a crazy Georgia fan, okay? Me and him are friends now. But whenever I saw him, I was like, I can do that. I can like I'm, I'm not, I don't have to be ESPN and just know every stat in the book and, and, you know, be robotic or whatever. I can be me, have a personality and not have to know everything. I can do that. So it was my brother that actually 
talked me into that because whenever you're not used to the camera, that, that first video is you got to get courage to do it. Otherwise you're not going to do it. So you get in and you mess up and you stammer and stutter and the editing is a nightmare, but eventually you get to it. So people ask me all the time, you know, what, what software do I need? What camera do I need? What editing? I'm like, look, all you need is your phone. And my best advice to you is go and do it. Go make your mistakes and go learn from your mistakes because you're not going to start perfect. You're not going to start the way you want to start. You will make mistakes and then learn from it. That's it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, we ran into that too when we first started doing our podcast. I know um, I primarily do our audio editing and man, those first four or five podcasts, I felt like I was spending four or five hours a night just editing down the audio. Uh, we would have issues with the software we were using with, you know, our recordings being cutting out in the middle of the podcast and going through and trying to fix all those little mistakes. But like you said, you come out better from it. Um, I love that advice working through it. That's a great way to go through life. Don't be scared to make mistakes is the bottom line. No, Absolutely. yeah, 100%, man. Uh, we've been doing this less than a year, and um, it sounds like we kind of have a similar origin story where we were just listening to other people talk about WVU sports, and one day me and Brandon just said, you know, we could do this. Why don't – I mean, this is what we do in our free time anyways. Why don't we just try this out? And uh, we, I don't know. It's just fun. And, and we just we just kept doing it. And you're right. Like, you know, at first you are going to make a lot of mistakes, but it's just like anything. The more you do it, the more you practice it, the better you'll get. That's exactly right. 100 percent. So um, now that we know a little bit about you, let's start talking about some WVU sports. What are your thoughts on the upcoming football season? Is West Virginia going to have a solid year? What are your thoughts? I think West Virginia is going to have a surprisingly solid year because, okay, last year, West Virginia fans, including myself, we had pretty high expectations for what we had. We didn't realize what we had. And what we had was a really good defense, but an offense that was all over the place. Um, I've, I've watched a lot of interviews with Graham Harrell, with Neil Brown, with the players of West Virginia. Basically, the difference between last year and this year is last year, uh, they went out on the field as an offense and hoped they didn't mess up. This year, they're going out as the offense knowing they're going to score. That's the different mentality from last year to this year. So, you know, our expectations were a little too high for what we had last year, and our defense was still, was still solid. If you go look at all the games that we played last year, we were in games that we should not have been in because of that defense. I mean, we averaged 25 points per game. We still ended up in a bowl. That's a freaking miracle. I don't care who you are. If you're averaging 25 points a game, that's a miracle. Graham Harrell, everywhere he's been, that first year he's at his new school, that school jumps 8 to 10 points per game. Wow. So what we're probably going to be looking at is an offense that's going to average somewhere between 33 and 35 points per game. If you take that statistic right there and you slide it side by side, with last year's score, we go 12-1. and one. That's wow. how big of a difference Graham Harrell is going to make. That's incredible. I never, I didn't realize it was that close. I mean, you know, I love Graham Harrell's approach to it too um, compared to the way Neil Brown spoke about the offense last year where, you know, Graham Harrell talks about he wants to keep it simple. He wants to keep it fun. He wants to score points where, like you said, Neil Brown, they didn't want to make mistakes. But, you know, the one thing about Neil Brown's offense too that, I always complained about is that they were, it seemed like they were trying to 
combine like four different philosophies of offense into some weird amalgamation around the offense. And it just didn't work out because, you know, there'd be games where we gave bloody ball, Letty Brown the ball 30 times. There'd be times where Deggy threw the ball 35 times. There'd be times where we didn't throw a single screen the entire game. And it just didn't make any sense. And you can't run an offense like that anymore. Yeah, you have to be more consistent in your play calling if you want your offense to to be successful because a, a lot of people don't realize this. One of the things about offense, if you're going to be successful, is they have to get it in rhythm. They have to know the play inside and out. They have to know where exactly that foot needs to cut. They know exactly where that ball needs to come out of their arm. And whenever you're inconsistent in your play calling, that's going to throw off mechanics. That's going to throw off route running. That's going to throw off blocking schemes. It throws off everything. So that's that's why Graham Harrell is such an enormous hire, not just because he calls an offense that scores a lot. It's he calls plays that he ingrains into these players' minds that they could run in their sleep. Hey, when he calls that play, I know exactly where I'm going to be whenever the ball hits me. Yeah, yeah, yeah I couldn't agree more. It, it seemed like, you know, we didn't really have an identity these past few years. Like, obviously, we were an RPO offense, but um, – <laughs> I agree with everything you guys said. It just, you know, it, it seemed like we were lacking that identity on offense. And I do think Graham Harrell's going to have a huge impact because just like you guys are saying, now we kind of know what to expect from our offensive game plan. But um, what impact do you think JT Daniels will have on this team? Oh, he's going to have a tremendous impact. Make no mistake about it. This is still a quarterback battle, but we're all thinking that he's going to win that because, uh, you know, his his level of skill is just, above everybody else's. I liked what I saw with Will Crowder in the spring game, but, you know, compared to what I've seen JT Daniels do, it's it's not quite there yet. So I agree. I think JT Daniels will win the, the starting quarterback. What does he bring? He brings experience. He brings composure. He brings preciseness. He knows where to put that ball. It's not a guess. It's not a hope. It's the ball needs to be right there. Hey, you either be there or it's going to fall incomplete or somebody's going to intercept it. But that's where I'm throwing it because that's where you're supposed to be. So the leadership of JT Daniels is, is what West Virginia has missed the most on offense. We have not had a leader on offense. So, you know, just the sheer the sheer fact of his leadership is, is going to take our offense to the next level. And a lot of people are worried about, oh, uh, well, you know, we lost Letty Brown. We lost Winston Wright. Uh, Jarrett Deggy. Well, Jarrett Deggy, you know, you basically ran out of town. So any West Virginia fan that complains about that, then I don't know what you're doing because you're you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Now, for Letty Brown, West Virginia actually maximized him because once he went to the NFL and tested for the combine, he was actually the slowest running back that tested for the combine. And he still got over a thousand yards two years in a row. So Whatever we did with him, it worked uh, a lot, uh, probably more than what it should. So will he be missed? Yes, but Lynn J. Dixon is way faster, and I'm talking way faster than Lenny Brown. So we have the experience of Tony Mathis, uh, the speed of Lynn J. Dixon, 2018 averaged 8.8 yards a game, 2019 6.1 yards a game. Uh, wasn't used all that much last year because of some locker room issues. But the potential with Lynn J. Dixon – and he says it to the coach. Every time you give me the ball, I have the potential to take it to the house. He believes he's going to take it to the house. So our running game is going to take a step up, even though we lost Lady Brown. 
Winston Wright, everybody likes to say, leading wide receiver of West Virginia. Yeah, but he still only had 688 receiving yards. So that's that's not really, you know, saying all that much. And you had like four or five other guys that had over 600 yards receiving. So what ended up happening is addition through subtraction. Now we have fewer wide receivers. It's less crowded. They're going to get their reps. They're going to get in sync. And uh, I think our offense is going to score a lot more points because the offense, the people that run the offense are just going to be happier this year. Yeah, I love the running back room now. Um, you know, I love Letty and I loved having a workhorse, but I think there's value too in spreading out the love a little bit. And you mentioned Lynn J. Dixon, uh, you mentioned Tony Mathis, but you know, Jalen Anderson and Justin Williams are also really solid backs too. They're both four stars coming out of high school, and um, by all accounts during camp, they showed out pretty well too. Um, you know, I, I can definitely see a situation where you know you have Mathis being like the primary running guy, you have Dixon getting some passing work and maybe handling a lot of that. And then you have Anderson and Williams kind of acting as the primary spellbacks. And then you just, you know, play people to their strengths. I mean, it's like what the Golden State Warriors do. It before um, Andrew Wiggins did what he did in the finals the other day. Yep. He was playing for the Timberwolves and everyone said he was a bust. But you put him in the Warriors, you minimize his weaknesses, you play to his strengths, and he looks like a superstar. Um, I think that's what Graham Harrell's offense is built to do. And I'm really excited to see how all these running backs play this year. I'm interested to see uh, if those backup running backs are, are going to be okay with their blocking role, you know, because you got to realize when you have that many running backs, they're not going to get, you know, they're not going to get the ball every stinking snap. It's got to be spread around a little bit. So if they can show that they're going to put maximum effort, not just when they run, but also when they block, then that's another step that this offense is going to take. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Blocking is definitely the hardest thing I think for a college player to, um, to learn um, because in, you know, in high school, you're getting the ball 30 times a game and you know, that's it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, you guys mentioned how, um, you know, Winston Wright's no longer here, but I think this is a big opportunity for Bryce Ford Wheaton to really have a huge year. And um, of course, Prather, you know, is the guy mm. is mm. everyone's talking about who's going to be the X factor. And me and Brandon have talked about him a lot. We think we're expecting big things from him. So how do you feel about Prather coming into this year? Oh, I was I was high on him from last year. I, I think the dude has has. Uh, I mean, I don't want to directly compare him to Randy Moss, but the way he high points the ball, you don't. The thing with JT Daniels is he's good with precise passes, but with Caden Prather, you don't necessarily have to be that precise. As long as you give him a chance in a fifty-fifty situation, he will go up and get the ball. His vertical is is ridiculous. His hands are ridiculous. Uh, his his weakest aspect is his route running, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It's really, really good. It's just his weak, weakest aspect. So that tells you how great of a player is when their weakest aspect is actually pretty stinking good. Yeah, I love Prather. I mean, uh, last year I thought he was a guy, um, you know, probably prematurely, but just based on his recruiting ranking and his tape, um, should have played a lot more earlier on in the season. But at the end of the season, it kind of, um, vindicated my thoughts where he was just having great game after great game. There were some drives where it felt like he was the entire offense moving down the field. Um, I'm also encouraged by what we saw from Bryce Ford Wheaton in the spring game. And even though I know it's just the spring game, um, the biggest thing that I thought Ford Wheaton struggled with last year was making those 50, 50 catches. And in the spring game, it felt like that's all he did. So I'm really, really encouraged by what he showed. And I'm really hoping that that 
turns out on Saturdays coming forward this season. Absolutely. And it helps that all five of our starting offensive linemen are back too. I'm excited about that. And Doug Nestor doesn't have that cast on his hand. And they're saying he's he's been a beast this spring and summer. That's great. Yeah, I, that's one thing that, you know, I'm really hoping improves because the offensive line was definitely part of the issue last year. And we are returning all five guys, um, you know, but I think Milam played great closing out the season last year, um, you know, and obviously Frazier's a stud and um, Nestor, you know, obviously is really good. I think the two question marks for me are Gemitter, who had his ups and downs last year and Yates, who um, wasn't very good at left tackle. I'm curious to see how he does at right tackle. So other than the three kind of studs uh, from West Virginia, nonetheless, um, how do you feel about the other two spots on the line? Uh, I'm actually very, very comfortable with it. Um, last year, I kind of rewound in my head. After the bye week, the offensive line actually got progressively better. Um, they, you know, they, it just got better and better and better. So as far as uh, Minter and, and Muter, uh, I think they're fine as long as, long as everybody is on the same page. Um, like you said, we have three studs in Nestor, Milam, and Frazier. And then the other two guys, they're not that far behind. So I think, you know, it, it'll be a team effort. So uh, if they're having a bad bad game, the studs are going to be like, hey, man, you need to step it up. We need your help, man. Uh, you know, you drop the ball on that one. So I think the leadership is there and the camaraderie is there. I mean, all five starters are back. Not a lot of teams can say that. Yeah, and there's a lot to be said for continuity when it comes to an offensive line. I mean, I, I would say without a doubt that's the biggest – um, part of your football team that you need continuity. So the fact that we have all five back is encouraging. And, um, you know, although they did improve at some parts last year, they were just really bad. So the, the way I look at it is there's no way they aren't going to be better because, you know, right. they weren't that good last year. So they have to improve, you would think. Um, with that being said, the Mountaineers have been around 500 these these past three years under Neil Brown, and it feels like they're right there. It feels like they're ready to take that huge leap forward. So, I mean, you've mentioned Graham Harrell. You mentioned how um, JT Daniels is going to be a huge improvement at the quarterback position. But what else does West Virginia need to do to take that step forward? Basically, we got, we have to learn how to win those 50-50 football games. If you look at last year, four of our six losses were 50-50 games. You flip two of those, that's eight and four. You flip all four of those, that's 10 and two. Uh, really, there were, there were only two games that we had no shot of winning. That was Baylor and Oklahoma State. That was it. The other games, uh, we either should have won or could have won. Uh, but, you know, the old saying, could have, would have, should have, doesn't do anything. So they have to get in – in that winning mentality. We were one touchdown away. We were one bad snap away. We were one, uh, you know, drive-stopping series away uh, whenever it came to Texas Tech. They drove the field with a game-winning field goal. And, you know, we came out flat in that game, battled back, and then we let them, you know, kick the game-winning field goal. So it's just that extra step. I like what I heard from – Brent Venables, the new coach at Oklahoma. So Oklahoma, you know, they're really, really good. They've gotten to the playoffs, double-digit win season, but not national championships. So his philosophy is, you know, a little more efficiency, a little bit uh, work, a little bit more money. Yes, it takes money to run college football, uh, a little bit more effort. It just takes a little more. 
So that's what West Virginia has to do. They, we, we have to put out just a little bit more effort, just a little bit more efficiency, uh, continuity. We're doing things right. We're just not doing enough of it. So in order to take the next step, we have to do more of what we've been doing. Otherwise, we're going to get stuck in these 50-50 football games and not be able to win them. Do you feel like um, Neil Brown handing off the offensive reins kind of will help him um, with those management, you know, either it's motivation or strategic um, initiatives during the game to help win those 50-50 games? Yes, because that's the one knock that I would have on Neil Brown. Um, We saw from year one that he, he, he was not the guy to call plays for the offense, but, you know, he wanted to do it in 2020. It still wasn't working out. So, he hands, it off, he hands it off to Jared Parker, and Jared Parker was very much underqualified. We we should have looked for a, a qualified offensive coordinator in year one, and it didn't happen. So that would be my only knock was, why didn't we do this sooner? This was a great move. It was exactly what we needed to do. Why didn't we do it sooner? So, you know, the fact that he finally did it, great. He didn't wait till it was too late. Great. But now it's time to, you know, now it's do or die. You waited until it's do or die time. Uh, you have no time to rebound. We have to have a good season if you want to keep your job. So uh, hopefully from now on, he learns when a decision needs to be made, make it. Don't wait until your back's up against the wall. You know, that that's the worst time to wait till. And then if it doesn't work out, you're gone. Yeah, I'm with more. you, man. Like you were just talking about those 50-50 games. I mean, if you look back at a lot of those games, even the Texas Tech game, the reason they lost is because they couldn't get four consistent quarters from their offense. You know, they were getting like maybe two quarters a game of a good offense. And so they were always playing catch up or blowing big leads in the second half. And you nailed it, man. Yeah, with Graham Harrell there, with JT Daniels, and hopefully Neil Brown taking a step back and delegating a little more like a lot of head coaches do. Um, I think that'll be huge for winning those 50-50 games because I think you'll get a more consistent output from your offense over four quarters. Here's the bottom line, guys. This, this is it, the bottom line. We have to go eight and four, or I, I really think Neil Brown has to go. We've gotten to that point. Now, my mindset is I think we will go at least eight and four. I think we can go nine and three. I think we can go 10 and two. As long as we show up in that first game in the backyard brawl, and of course we will. We're West Virginia. We travel well to Pitt. We're going to beat them by double digits. Heard it from me first. We're going <laughs> to beat Pitt by double digits because of what happened in the offseason. I actually did a video on that earlier today. Exactly what West Virginia needed to happen happened, and exactly what Pitt didn't need to happen happened. They lost their offensive coordinator. They lost one of their best quarterbacks they've ever had. They lost the best wide receiver in the nation. What happened to West Virginia? We gained one of the best offensive coordinators. We gained one of the best quarterbacks in the in the free market. We gained a stud at running back. So Pitt lost a lot. We gained a lot. If you would have asked me uh, probably eight months ago, my, my confidence level on this, I would be like, I hope we win. I, I don't think we will, but I hope we do. Now my confidence level is not only are we going to win, we're going to beat them by a couple of touchdowns. I hope so. I really hope so. I mean, I think, you know, my cutoff for, for Neil Brown this year is seven wins, but there is a world where I can see that, you know, by some, you know, 
miracle. I don't want to say miracle because that's a little dramatic, but miracle. <laughs> um, we we could potentially win the Big 12 because I think if you're going to win, win the Big 12, this is the year to do it. You know, Venables, it's his first year. Everyone else is having a down year, really. The only team you have to beat is Baylor. Like, every, like Oklahoma State, they lost their entire defense. Who's and left? defensive coordinator. Exactly, yeah. In Texas, I mean, they have Quinn Ewers, but how many years in a row have they disappointed? I can't see this being any different. Texas is a train wreck. They don't they don't know how to make good decisions. They they recruit, you know, at an elite level. If West Virginia had the recruits that Texas had, we would be at least in the Big Twelve championship year after year after year. So I don't know what they're doing over there. Uh firing Tom Herman for at best a lateral move for Steve Sarkeesian, who proved nothing before he got that job and now he's gone five and seven. Oh no, Steve Sarkeesian, we're not we're not bucking up with him. He's the guy. He's been around NFL scouts, he's been around Nick Saban. What are you thinking? Okay, so we've been around some some good names. It's not translated in onto the field, so they're digging themselves into a hole even more. I do think that's a tricky road trip for West Virginia, though. That's actually one of the games I think we could lose in my ten and two scenario because um, that's a back to back road game. We will be coming off an emotional win against Virginia Tech. I'm calling it. We're beating Virginia Tech on the road. But that's going to be very draining emotionally, and we got to stay out on the road. And I, unfortunately, I do think Texas catches us. Yeah, yeah I think I, it's going to be I, hard fought. I could definitely see that. I mean, looking at the schedule, I would be very happy with eight wins. I, th- I think it's you know very doable. I don't think that's you know overachieving, but um, I could see us only seeing you know, seven wins as well. It just matters if we win those 50-50 games, like we were talking about. And I'm with Brandon. Like, I can live with seven wins. That would be a disappointing season, but I would give Neil Brown probably another year if we only win seven. Um, But I would be very happy with eight. I think if we overachieve, we could get to that nine, ten win column. Um, But since we were already talking about it, who do you think wins the Big 12? Like, who's on your short list if you only could pick two or three teams to even have the chance of winning the Big 12? Oklahoma, Baylor, West Virginia, Kansas State. That's my short list right there. I think uh, Baylor – I mean, the quarterback that led them to the Big 12 championship last year got beat out and had to transfer. That's how good the quarterback they have now is. And their schedule sets up, you know, fairly nicely. I do have West Virginia beating Baylor in Morgantown. Wow. Uh, Baylor's never won in Morgantown, and West Virginia got a whole lot better in the offseason. So I do expect us to beat them. But – uh, that might be their only loss in the entire season. So I expect Baylor to be in the Big 12 championship. Uh, Oklahoma has the talent. Brent Venables will have the defense. It's just can Dylan Gabriel deliver, you know? Then there's West Virginia. We've had the defense for the past three years. Now we're going to have the offense. Can we capitalize on those 50-50 football games? And then there's sleeping Kansas State. Kansas State is a very underrated team. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't shock me at all if Kansas State ended up in the Big 12 championship. I think Oklahoma State takes a massive step backwards because they lost their defensive coordinator and they lost a lot of studs on that defense. So I have Oklahoma State finishing around five or six. Wow. Yeah, you're actually the second. We had a big game boomer on a couple weeks ago, and he predicted Kansas State as a dark horse too. So that, that worries me a little bit because Kansas State always seems to give us a headache. During we the more season. this year, though. That's a win. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. As long as that uh, five foot six running back doesn't shred us again. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even if you look at that game last year, I know they won 34 to 17, but last five minutes, we still had a chance to tie it up and yeah. toss it up again. Mm-hmm. 
hundred percent. And uh, what we did skip over the defense a little bit. Um, and you mentioned, you know, the defense, but we also had a whole bunch of key departures, especially in the secondary. So uh, what do you think about the new guys and the new faces that we've seen and are stepping in, in those uh, safeties and cornerback roles? Honestly, I don't think those departures are as key as people think. Now, Hakeem Mesidor, very key. That hurt us. But Daryl Portal Jr., uh, Nick Troy Fortune, a lot of people made a big deal out of him because uh, at one point or another, they did start for West Virginia last year. But Nick Troy, after he got injured, straight up got beat by Charlie Wood, never earned his uh, job back. That's why he transferred to UTSA. Uh, so Charlie Wood basically uh, proved that he's better. So uh, not worried about losing Nick Troy, although it did hurt us on depth. Uh, Daryl Porter Jr., gambler. Uh, on his good games, he was on point. On his bad games, he was all over the place. Not consistent enough for what we need on defense. Um, so I like what we have at quarterback as far as Charlie Woods. And, uh, you know, we have Mumu Ben-Wanahad. You're not talking about him enough. Um, you know, Jacoby Spells kind of gets all the talk as far as the recruiting class. But Mumu is one of the best cover corners that came out of Haskell in 2021 one of the best his recovery speed is ridiculous um does he does he get beat from time to time yes he does but his recovery speed is amazing enough to where sometimes that don't matter and look for those two to possibly be used in the return game as well I keep my eyes on that um, I like our linebacker situation um Austin Cave was a nice addition we needed some depth as a linebacker uh, I think Dixon is going to be amazing. Again, I think he's, he takes that uh, step forward. With, you know, he didn't have a bad year, but I think it's going to be even better than what it was last year. So I like our linebacking core. little shaky at safety, not because I don't think we have talent, but we have inexperience. Um, if we can get through four or five games and I'm seeing that we're not giving up big plays, then I'll know the rest of the season we're not going to give up big plays. We'll know what the talent can do. And then it'll have some experience. So I'm just worried in those first few games that the lack of the lack of experience in at the safety position can hurt us. However, however, Marcus Floyd uh, could you know could sort of be experimental because he's a hybrid linebacker slash safety. I know he's going to be using the star, but you know we might see him back there as a single safety from time to time, or you know dual safeties. So I think we'll be fine with that. And Jasir Cox was also a nice addition. So we don't have any experienced true safeties, but we got some really good hybrid safeties. Yeah, I think so too. I know. And I love the athleticism that we have at linebacker this year. I feel like that's a huge upgrade over the past few years. Um, And then at corner, you know, I I love Daryl Porter Jr. He was honestly one of my favorite players last year. I felt like what he did as a freshman was incredible. Um, But you know, you, you brought up some good points about guys who are going to step in. The, all those young freshmen spells, uh, Ben Wahad. Um, there's another one that I'm not thinking of who was pretty highly rated as well. But it's good to have those guys in there and have them compete. At least let them compete for the job. And Wilson Lamp, who um, yes. started in the spring game, you know, they gave him a lot of reps. And he's someone who was pretty highly regarded coming out of high school as well. Actually, as a receiver, but moved him to defense. So let's see if his hands play out. Um I'm kind of I understand the Mesador kind of being a big loss, but you know I'm a big fan of of Jefferson as well. I feel like he was underutilized last year. If you are uh, you know into PFF stats, he was actually one of our best, if not the best, defensive lineman that we that graded out last year. 
and he's big. Um, he impressed me in the spring game. He impressed me in the games that he played during the regular season. And I think his size and athleticism are a real difference maker for, you know, it seemed like we were good against the run some games, but at the end of the year, we struggled a little bit. And I think having someone like him, if he can stay healthy, um, could really, really be a huge difference maker late in the season. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I guess the reason why I say Mesnor is going to hurt is just because he's such a good talent. You know, it's mm-hmm. hard not to say that's not going to hurt. Um, but as far as what we have, though, we're going to be fine. We have excellent depth at our defensive line. Uh, one of our positions that we have the best depth at, you got Jordan Jefferson, of course, uh, Dante Stills, uh, we brought in Lockhart. I, I think that defensive line is going to be just fine. It's just, Hakeem Mesidor was a great talent. I mean, it mm-hmm. is what it is, but we're going to be fine. We will be fine. It's going to be, it once again, will be a strength of our defense. I'm shocked yeah. with how many guys we keep getting on the defensive line, too. I mean, I feel like we're at, uh, approaching three deep right now where we have quality guys, which, you know, during the Holgerson era, I felt bad about the starters we were playing half the time. And now we yep. have three guys at each position who I feel like can contribute. Well, that's what Neil Brown has figured out on the defense is where you need to be the most deep because defense is what wins games. Uh, now, you need a, <laughs> you need an offense to go along with it. We saw that last year. Uh, but, I mean, if you look at the offense, it was, it was just flat-out bad, anemic. If we would have had an average offense last year, we would have won, you know, eight and four, nine and three, something like that. So, you know, his, his first thing whenever he came to West Virginia was to rebuild the defense. That's done. Now it's time to focus on the offense. And with the offense, depth isn't as important. Still important, but it's not as important because offense is more about getting into a groove and, you know, getting your reps in and getting comfortable. With defense, you know, you got to grind it out. So you need depth to give guys rest, and you need that depth to be just as good as the the guys that are coming off the field. So I I think – we're finally figuring out the formula, uh, you know, get excellent depth on, on defense and get some studs on offense. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you make a good point about depth on defense. We're a defense these past few years who, you know, we don't force a lot of turnovers. And so that does lead to a lot of long drives, which can wear on your defense over four quarters. So if you can have fresh bodies to throw out there and give guys a rest, um, it really helps you when it, you know, comes late in the fourth quarter you, that you don't have a bunch of gas guys. Um, but since we're talking about a lot of these young players, uh, I want to get both of your thoughts. But Golden Blue Dude, I want yours first. What are your thoughts on the 2023 recruiting class so far? Because Neil Brown has been killing it when it comes to recruiting. Uh, it, it's signs of some really good things coming. If you go back at and look at 2019 to 2020, 21, 22, 23, the recruiting classes just keep getting better and better and better. And a lot of people, uh, well, Pitt fans and Penn State fans are like, well, Gallagher, you were going to get him anyways. That, you know, he's been a Western. I don't care how you want to spin it. That is a big recruit for West Virginia, a top 100 recruit uh, as ranked by ESPN, our fifth highest ever rated recruit that we've gotten at West Virginia as far as whenever the star rankings came out above Geno Smith. So whenever you get a recruit whose rating is higher than Geno Smith, how can you complain? Like if you complain about that, then, then uh, you need to go over to Ohio state because uh, you know, West Virginia, 
we don't recruit top five classes. We just don't. We can't right now. Maybe if we can get some more donors to shell out some more money, then we can get a top five class. But as is, you know, that's really stinking good. I'm excited. And, you know, every time I see a tweet by Neil Brown that says, let's go, I'm like, son of a, he did it again, you know? And I love that he started that too. Like, uh, you know, whenever Holgerson was a head coach, it was, it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't even news. I mean, mm -hmm. I know we were happy about getting Will Greer and that was amazing, but like whenever it actually broke, how much of a buzz was there? It's like, oh, let me look at this guy. Oh, Will Greer, that, he's got pretty good stats. With Neil Brown, it's like he lets you know it's a big deal. Yeah, that's one thing that I really like about this staff is that they really seem to embrace the modern aspect of college football with all the social media. And, um, you know, even if it's just them having dinner at their house, there's always pictures, there's people smiling, looks like they're having fun. And I think the family element is really great to sell. And I think that's been a really big driving force behind what Neil Brown is, is selling and able to bring guys in. And, you know, you talked about Gallagher, but another guy that, really surprised me is uh trotter you know him his dad being he should be right you know, pro middle linebacker that gets on my nerves oh yeah he definitely i mean i figure he's a four star he's at least a four star i mean the guy has athleticism he's a prototypical build he's what 235 already moves well um his brother plays for a college big time pro college program down in maryland i mean and his dad was an all pro so yep. you know, that's one thing that i didn't understand why he's still hanging around the three-star. I mean, that's a guy that for someone who's not a WVU alum, being able to bring in a guy with NFL bloodline is huge because those guys, they go to Ohio state, they go to Michigan, they go to Florida, they go to, you know, Alabama, um, West Virginia. I mean, Neil Brown's out there stealing guys that are going to be playing in the league in a few years. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen him kind of get Huggins into the whole tweeting whenever he lands a recruit and, uh, Huggins is seeing one of his best recruiting classes he's seen in a very long time, counting transfers, counting recruits. This is this is going to be a very talented West Virginia basketball season uh, come 2022. So, uh, you know, it, it just shows that if you start embracing, uh, you know, the technology or whatever is at your disposal, you know, maximize it. And Neil Brown, I, I guess he showed Bob Huggins, hey, this is what happens when you maximize. And then Bob Huggins jumped on, and now his stock has gone through the roof. Now Bob Huggins is tweeting at Dave Portnoy to get Barstool to rename the Coliseum. That was unexpected and hilarious all at the same time. Yeah, it was. Um, and I'm with you guys. You know, Neil Brown just does seem a lot more personable than Dana ever did. Um, you know, I wasn't a big Dana hater while he was here. I, I actually liked him for our head coach, but um, – you know, Neil Brown's just easier to root for when it comes to personality, it seems like. He just knows how to connect with Mountaineer fans. And, um, you know, we've been talking about how well he's done at recruiting. Um, what do you think it is about his personality that's attracting people? Because he, he seems to be doing it better than anyone else before him. Uh, he's, he's basically taking the Dabo approach. Um, you know, put it all on the line. If you're going to come here, go all in in a family atmosphere, you know, not necessarily a mom and dad, you know, children type of thing, but everybody is together as a family. With Holgerson, I never got the sense that the team that thought that they were one big family. With Neil Brown, you can see the camaraderie and that they, you know, they really do have each other's back. 
And when you're, you can use that as a recruiting tool because you're going out there and you're drawing guys in and you're like, you don't have to do this alone. You're going to maximize your potential. But at the same time, when you do fall, you have guys that got your back and pick you back up and get you going down the road again. So I, I just think the whole uh, – Neil Brown really does remind me of Dabo when it comes to his uh, recruiting approach as far as, you know, the family atmosphere, the, the all-in. I know we don't use all-in, but it's basically the same mantra. Um, you could see a lot of similarities between what Dabo does and what Neil Brown does. I like that comparison. I think that's good. And, you know, the one thing that now that you brought it up is – when you talk about the the team aspect, the family aspect of Neil Brown, it was like you said, the opposite with Holgerson and, you know, looking back at the Holgerson era, now that you kind of brought it to light, it's, you know, Holgerson was all about, you know, the me and getting to the league. Like Holgerson got guys to the league, but at the expense of a good winning football team. I mean, there was years where it felt like we probably should have won, you know, 10 or 11 games. And we were sitting at eight wins almost pretty consistently, regardless of who was on the team. 2018, man. We, at minimum, we should have been ten and two, uh, if not mm-hmm. better. That was a that was a waste of of the talent that we had. Oh yeah, that team was so deep and so fun to watch. But you know, the end of the season record didn't match up to the how fun it was to watch that team. I mean, it's that's kind that's of hard when you look my at, heart. When you look at the teams now, and even though we're not getting the the win loss record, we're still building on it, and I think we take a big step this year. But if you look at game to game, the effort is there. The only game that really sticks out is Texas Tech. That was awful. We did not show up in the first half, and I guarantee you he chewed their butts out and they came out firing on all cylinders in the second half. But if you you know, if you take the talent that Dana Hogerson had towards the end of his career at West Virginia, and you put it with the teaching philosophy that Neil Brown has right now, I mean we we would be at least in the Big 12 championship if not winning the Big 12. Think about, we never got to a Big 12 championship under Dana Holgerson with the talent that we had. I mean that that's it makes no sense when you think about it. Yeah, I mean if we want to talk about underachieving, thinking about Geno Smith and Tavon's last year when they won like what seven games with that incredible offense. And don't get me wrong, the offense scored, but. You know, it takes an entire team to win, and that defense just seemed to blow it each and every week. Well, in 2012, we got up to, what, all the way number five after we beat Texas on the road, and then we mm-hmm. lose five in a row because we go on the road to Texas Tech and fall asleep and get blasted by, like, four touchdowns. And then, of course, that affected them mentally, and they were never the same till the last two games. It was just sheer nonsense. Like, the, the whole era under Holgerson drove me nuts, and even – though some of the seasons had better records than what we're seeing under Neil Brown, at least what we're seeing now is effort. And the weird thing is it never feels like we're out of a football game. Even when we have a six and seven season or a six and four season or our first year, five and seven, it never feels like we're like out of a football game. Whenever Holgerson was here, it's like, oh, yep, here we go again. We're having our bad game. Might as well, uh, you know, quit watching and go get some pepperoni rolls or whatever because we're going to get blown out on this one. It was either really, really good or really, really bad. So, I mean, that's the best way I can explain it. Yeah, I feel like I'm more invested in the Neil Brown games because, like you said, it feels like going in, you can see certain things that are happening on the field or certain things certain players are doing that give you hope. I know – in all of our podcast episodes last year, it was like, you know, if we can do this, we have to just make 
this one small change and we can win this game. And, you know, the only game that, um, you know, even going into Baylor, I think we felt okay about going into that game, even though we got absolutely slapped around in that first half. Um, (laughs) But, you know, even the Oklahoma State game, I was like, Oklahoma State on paper is not that much better than us. You just can't turn the ball over. You can't play into their defense. And we did exactly that. Well, it, it was like with with Holgerson, you could tell in the first quarter if we were going to win or not. Here's what I mean by that: um, if our offense was firing on all cylinders, uh, we were either going to blow them out or it was going to be close and we're going to win. If our offense came out and it was flat, we were going to get blown out because our defense was trash. But you know, under Neil Brown, even when our offense isn't doing so good. The defense still gives us a chance. I mean, look at last year. That was people truly don't realize how bad that offense was. That was a bad, bad offense. And the defense, we won some games that we shouldn't have won. And even the games that we lost, the defense kept us in games that we shouldn't have even been, you know, close. Oh, uh, look oh. at Minnesota. I predicted that, you know, Minnesota was basically basically gonna own us, and they did. Main reason was because of field position. West Virginia was on bottom of the barrel, and Minnesota was, like, top ten. I was like, guys, it's not going to happen. Field position, what happened? Minnesota flipped the field on us time after time after time after time because we had, uh, you know, our our kicking game and our receiving game wasn't good, and that's how Minnesota beat us. But if you look at the final score, 18-6, so that means the defense still kept us in the game, even though our offense was terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Um, just to switch gears a little bit, because you brought up basketball earlier, um, you know, we can dive into it closer to the season opener, but just real quick, what are your thoughts on WVU's basketball team going into this year? Um, our basketball team is going to have a lot of talent. Um, it, it's going to – the big thing that I'm worried about is cohesion because there's a lot of new faces. Yeah. But I do think that the talent is there. And if we can get through the first, I don't know, quarter of the season and avoid a just horrific start, then we have a chance to be real contenders in the Big 12 because by then you will have the talent and the experience put together uh, as far as, you know, being around each other. I think this is a great team. I think the, the, the potential of this particular team would be at minimum Sweet 16. That's how big of a jump I think this team can make. I think we make the big dance. I know this is a really, 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 really early prediction, but just from the roster and talent judgment and what we've done in the offseason, I think this is a sweet 16 team with the potential to go to the Final Four if they come together as a unit. The talent is there. Uh, the athleticism is there. It's can they play together. That's my only question. That's bold. Definitely bold. I like it. <laughs> it's bold in my mind. I know – the one thing that really scares me about this team is kind of the opposite of what we had last year, where we had a go-to guy. Now we only had one of them. Um, but this year it feels like, you know, if we're going to win, we're going to win in, you know, close quarters fighting where we're winning the game, like 58 to 56 sort of thing, which is Bob Huggins style. And that's fine. But you know, the, the person that I'm wondering who that guy ends up being, and I can't think of who it is right now, unless it's one of the young guys is, you know, whenever you're in that 56-56 tie game, who's driving down and who's getting you a bucket? 
Um, you know, we've had Javon Carter be that guy. We've had Daxter Miles be that guy. We've had Miles McBride be that guy, Deshaun Butler. And those were our best teams. Um, I don't know who's going to step up and be that guy this year. Um, so do you have any thoughts on who's going to be the scorer on this year's WVU basketball team? I don't right now. Um, I'll have to look into the roster and see, uh, you know, who would be uh, more capable of doing that because I'm not, I mean, I'm familiar with the roster, but I'm not like, it's not like a, you know, a Javon Carter or Dexter Miles type of a team where you're familiar with every single player. This one mm-hmm. is, uh, it's a lot of players being put together, a lot of really good yeah. players. So the fact that we don't know, that's not a bad thing. I know that's a scary thing, but it's not a bad thing. All that means is they are all capable of being that go-to guy. So the fact that they're all capable of it, that's actually really good. That means it could actually be any one of them. It doesn't have to be just one. Uh, we got we actually have pretty good shooters this year. That's one of the things that we've been missing over the past two years. Uh, you know, Bob Huggins likes to win with defense, and it's worked well. You know, Press Virginia, which I'm hearing – um, we're going to see a lot more of that this year. Press Virginia making a comeback possibly, but we also have shooters. Now, do we have that go-to name where we're like pops in your head? That's going to be the guy. No, but that's okay. That just means there's like five or six names out there that could turn out to be the go-to guy. And maybe it's a different go-to guy, you know, in different games. Maybe it's not the same guy over the season. Yeah, the the way I keep describing this team is on paper, if you took each individual player off last year's roster, we probably have a more talented team last year. But as a group, as a team, which is how you need to win in basketball, I like this team better because they all have similar um, playing styles, hard-nosed defense. Um, like you said, some of them are good shooters from the outside. I just think as a whole, this team fits Bob Huggins coaching and personality better? I would say the 2020-2021 team was more talented than this year. But I think this year's is more talented than last year's. Yeah, as a whole, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're as good as, you know, Deuce McBride and, um, you know, Culver. Uh, Those were very, very talented guys. But um, I'm with you. I just think as a group, where this is a better team, but you bring up good points. I mean, it's hard to have everyone on the same page when, you know, everyone's getting used to playing with each other. Just look at Malik Curry last year. He was a stud by the end of the season, but it took him a while to get going and get comfortable. Now we're going to have a whole team like that. And that's, that's a little concerning because we could be, you know, so far in the hole halfway into the year that we don't even have a chance making the tournament if they don't figure it out quick, you know? Yeah. And then we have guys that have transferred out and figured out it's actually not greener on the other side. And they transferred back in, uh, Matthews jr. Thinking about you, bud. (laughs) I'm excited (laughs) that he's coming back. I think he feels, you know, you know, not exactly what we needed for that final roster spot, but he he does fit a lot of the stuff that we were looking for. He's a stretch winger. He can be a good scorer. Um, obviously, he needs to be more consistent than he was when he was here previously at putting up points, but um, I'm pretty excited that we got him back. Here, here's too. the thing with Emmett Matthews Jr. He had a couple of bad games, and then the, the fans piled on top of him. It got in his head. He wasn't mentally tough. 
So this is what I would say. I would actually not really warn the West Virginia fans, but more like uh, just give some advice. If he does have a bad game or a couple of bad games in a row, don't pile on top of this guy. We know he's talented. We know he's capable of taking over games. He really is. He could actually be that go-to guy or develop into that go-to guy. Uh, we, we remember the bad, and we remember him transferring out. But before all that happened, Emmett Matthews Jr. was a freaking scoring stud. Yeah, yeah. he was definitely a big-time guy coming out of high school. And, you know, I think his leadership ability, his f- familiarity with the college, um, and just his size is really going to make a big difference this year because, you know, if not for him, we're playing a whole bunch of six-two, six-three guys one through three, which hurt us last year. But I mean, I am excited for Emmett. I love him as a player. Um, I do think the fans kind of gave him the short end of the stick way too often. Um, so I'm really excited to see how he turns out because this could be the perfect end to his college career is coming back to WVU, getting yeah. us back to the tournament at least, and maybe leading us in scoring. Here's my thing. And, um, you know, maybe I'm being too hard, but uh, I mean, me and Brandon always say, you know, take it easy on these guys. They're just kids. You know, this isn't everything. These are they're sports games. You know, people are going to have off days. But do other fan bases, are they just like the nicest people ever when someone has a bad game? Because <laughs> I understand West Virginia, like Twitter and other social media accounts can be pretty harsh and toxic sometimes. Trust me, me and Brandon get it from being, you know, associated with Brad and the voice of Motown sometimes. But, like, I don't understand why they think they can just go to another school and then everyone's going to be super nice to them when they have a bad game. Yeah, that that doesn't make sense at all. If you're leaving because of criticism and you keep making the same mistakes, you're still going to get criticized. People are people. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's my two cents. Um, I agree. So, was, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead, bud. Well, I was going to say, uh, yeah, that was great on basketball. But, um, you know, one thing that we were thinking, um, just to kind of close out part of the sports segment, is what is your favorite WVU sports moment? Oh, crap. You know what? I was actually watching it earlier on my phone because I think I've Googled it so many times that now it's getting suggested. And it's 1993 Robert Walker with the uh, touchdown run to put West Virginia up over Miami, 17 to 14. And the reason why that's my favorite is because, you know, I became a fan in 88, and that's when I started watching it, and I started watching it more and more. And I I literally watched that team grow up and come together. And it was just, yes, 88 was special, but to me, 93 was even more special because I was seeing these guys that I had known for, you know, three or four years uh, run through a schedule, go undefeated, and then we get the short end of the stick by getting sent to the sugar ball against Florida. And I know I'm kind of trailing off here, but a lot of people wonder why we got blown out against Florida. If you go look, if you go back and look at the interviews that Don Nealon had after we beat Miami, or not, not Miami, Boston College, he said, if they don't put West Virginia in the national championship, you're going to have to break me out of jail because West Virginia should have gone. We were undefeated. But they ended up putting Florida State in over us, and that just that killed us mentally. We we were not in that Sugar Bowl game ever mentally, and that's why we got blasted. 
and and people are like, well, that's why West Virginia, you know, shouldn't have went to the national championship. I mean, you got blasted by Florida. Imagine what would happen in that. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Two different situations. We were expecting to go to the national championship, and we got seen the Sugar Bowl. That's what got blown out. But my, my favorite moment is Robert Walker with the touchdown run. Yeah, it's definitely an awesome one. I believe that's the one that still holds the record for the biggest attendance at uh, Mountaineer Field or Milan Pushkar Stadium, as they call it now. I still call it Mountaineer Field all the time, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, My, you know, I have a memory that's very similar to yours because um, I'm younger than you, so I don't remember watching that game live. I've only seen the highlights. But in 05, that triple overtime against oh. Louisville. Oh. I was at that game. And just like you said, it was, it was like seeing the start of an era. That was really what kicked off the Pat White and Steve Slayton era. And then yeah. they went on to only lose one game that year. So um, I, I, I get it. I get it because um, you know, that game had very similar feels. I think yep. my favorite would have to be the, um, the Sean Butler, WVU Mountaineers when we upset Kentucky you know, to go to the Final Four. I was, at, um, I was at an Applebee's where it was supposed to be only like 50 people when we had like 200 people in the Applebee's. That, man, I remember that. that actually, now that you reminded me, that might be – that actually might be my favorite moment just because of who I was with. It was – I mean, just going into that game, looking at how stacked that Kentucky team was. They were loaded, completely loaded, and we went out there and the defense was – tenacious and the shooting was great um we got con- contributions from everyone and i don't know it just felt great it felt like wv finally made it um obviously with deshaun blowing out his knee the next game at duke yeah i mean that was awful but i mean just that moment there i felt like wv basketball had reached its pinnacle at least since jerry west was on the court 100 percent. yep yeah I mean, so people were, um, people were crying in the applebee's it was amazing <laughs> It was incredible. I love that game so much. Yeah, that was an awesome year. Um, But on a similar note, what's the coolest or fondest memory you have as a West Virginia content creator? Like, what's the what's the memory that sticks out the most after doing this for a few years? Um, Well, there's actually a couple. One was whenever I went to the Virginia Tech game last year and I live streamed uh seeing country roads of course it got demonetized because uh copyright claim i don't care that's fine uh but live streaming seeing country roads uh after we beat virginia tech fourth and goal stand that was that one sticks out pretty good and then there was another one where um there's this i don't know if y'all are even aware of this there's this event that uncle lou and pig skin pete they're big time youtube creators uh, they created this event, and it's every March, and it's called the Slob Olympics. And we have, like, I don't know, 15, 20 events, see who's the best at wiffle ball, see who's the best at 40-yard dash, see who's the best at throwing Frisbees. You know, nothing crazy, but it's fun competition, right? So another fun memory is going to those Slob Olympics and meeting all the other YouTubers that I've watched on YouTube and I've seen him in person and getting to hang out with Uncle Lou, even though it was the week that we lost to Texas Tech, that sucked. But getting at, getting to hang out with him because, you know, I've watched him so long. And actually, it's, it's funny that I brought that up. This was Everybody watching, this was not rehearsed. This just happened, okay? So this past Slob Olympics, um, 
Well, you got a plaque. Were you the winner of the Slav Olympics? <laughs> I actually won. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And the cool thing was the first year, now I haven't gotten engraved yet, but it's going to go right here. The first year we had like, I don't know, 14, 15 contestants. And so they did the odds this year, and I was picked to finish 16th this year out of 24, and I ended up winning. So That's amazing. I've had, some, I've had some epic moments already in my short time as a YouTuber. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Congratulations, oh. man. That sounds like a blast, too. Oh, yeah, man. that's fun. And, um, you know, what's awesome about that is you guys probably bounce ideas off each other and, you know, just get better at what you're doing, like we were talking about earlier. So that just sounds like a blast, man. Yeah, the best The best part wasn't winning the trip. The best part is just hanging out with all the people that you watch on YouTube. That was the best part. No, I bet. I bet, awesome, man. man. And, uh you know, we wanted to learn a little bit from you since, you know, you're kind of the veteran at this compared to our experience. So uh, we were talking about social media earlier. How has your experience been with fans on social media since you started? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're unpredictable, man. One one minute you make the best video I've ever seen in my entire – and then the next uh, – this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's trash. I'm mean, like, look, he's a fan from West Virginia. He's an inbred, you know, meth head, crackhead, whatever. Uh, I've heard every stereotype in the book. So I like it because you don't know what you're going to get from one video to the next as far as fan reaction. The moment it became fun when it was whenever I stopped caring that people liked me. The moment I stopped caring if people liked me or not, that's when I started having fun. And that's when my channel started growing. And I'm not saying that like looking down on fans. Of course, you still want people to like your content, but you don't produce it in a way you're like, well, I don't know if they'd like me saying that or not. I don't know if I should do it. No, -uh. be yourself. And if it entertains you, chances are it's going to entertain others. So that's kind of how I evolved. I started off, you know, if you go look at my earlier videos, they're train wreck. I mean, I was. I barely talked and you couldn't hear me and I was shy and all this other stuff. And I was worried about what people thought of me. Once I stopped worrying about that, that's when the fun began. I think that's where we're at too, because um, like we said earlier, you know, we get criticized just for being associated with the voice of Motown sometimes. Yep. And after a while, me and Brandon just started, you know, saying, yeah, you know, we're just going to keep doing yeah. what we do. If, if people like it, great. If they don't, who cares? Exactly right. Hey, that, that, that's one thing, though. Like, any public publicity is good publicity. Even if they're talking bad, hey, they're saying your name. That's what's that's important. True. That is absolutely true, yeah. Um, so on that note, you know, why do you think Brad and the voice of Motown gets criticized as much as they do from the fans? It's It's because he doesn't pat them on the back all the time. He doesn't say, you know all the sugar and rainbows and unicorns, all the nice stuff. Sometimes if he sees something wrong, he, he just, and I even disagree with him sometimes. I'm like, man, come on. That was a bad take. But you know what? It doesn't matter if that's what he thinks, then that's what he thinks. If he feels like he needs to call somebody out, it's, it's not my authority or anything to call him out. So you shouldn't do something like that. That's wrong. No, that's, like we watch, if he wants to make that video, then that's his prerogative. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more, man. Um, you, you know, we we love working with Brad. He's very kind to us, and um, you know, um, 
I couldn't agree more, though. It's not like I agree with every article he writes, but who wants to be around a person you agree with 100% of the time? <laughs> it, it's good. It's good to debate and, you know, have conflicting thoughts. So I'm with you, man. I mean, I, I just don't understand the criticism. Well, and I think the problem is they think because you're associated with him and you carry the name Voice of Motown, then that means you agree with everything he does. You can disagree with somebody and not like blatantly criticize them about it. You know what I'm saying? Like you can yeah. be like, well, oh, now hold on. I think this, but still not like totally trash. Like I'll say something and, and people will be like, that is the dumbest thing I ever heard. I'm like, so you're saying you disagree with me, right? <laughs> that's like, the, you know, like Tyler said earlier, you know, that's kind of the reason why we started the podcast was, you know, we would get in heated debates about things that, you know, whether it's WV football or any other sport, basically, and just talk about it. And it would go on for hours and hours and hours. And, um, you know, and it all starts just from a disagreement. And yeah. that's the great thing about, you know, creating content for whether it's a podcast or YouTube or whatever, you know, you're putting something out there for someone to spark a debate. I think it's the people who go out there and like you said, call you an idiot and just dismiss everything are the ones who just aren't participating in the game and having fun. I mean, I, if you see a take you don't like, have fun. Yeah, get involved. <laughs> That's the one thing I like about Brad is he actually likes the heat. Um, I actually had him on one of my live shows a couple of months ago or several months ago. I was like, dude, I'm I'm bringing the heat, man. Just let you know. He's like, man, turn it up as far as it'll go and break off the knob. I'm like, all right, man. <laughs> and it was a really good show. And when it comes to sports and debating like that, people have got to learn to stop taking things personal. Like, that is so immature. It's so childish. It's ridiculous. Just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean you have to, you know, attack them personally. It's ridiculous. You can attack their comment. You can disagree with the comment. You can debate the comment. You can argue the comment, whatever. But when people start getting personal about stuff, I'm like, uh, we're not even talking about what I made a video on anymore. Now you're just yeah. attacking me as a person. I have no, I have no time for that. Exactly. Couldn't agree yeah. more. I'm with you. And uh, honestly, that might be one of his best qualities is that he doesn't let anything get to him. He almost like thrives off of it. Yeah. He wants he wants to test his limits, I think. I think he's like, man, turn turn the heat even higher, man. Let's see if I see if I cook this time. <laughs> oh yeah. I love it. Um, and so yeah, the last question we had for you is um, you know, we kind of were talking about it earlier, but but this, this is our first season of football and basketball to talk about um, since we became podcasters. So what's your strategy for creating quality content during, you know, the kind of lull months of football and basketball? It's crazy because whenever I mentioned, you know, I became a fan in 88, which is a true story. And that was the first season that I was invested in West Virginia. And that was the first year that I started thinking about what ifs in sports. Well, what if it wasn't like that? What if they could do that? What if the rules were like this or that? So since a very young age, uh, I have a very uh, inquisitive mind, I guess is what you could say. So in the off season, I don't worry about, you know, stats and news. Now, if breaking news happens, of course, I'm going to try to beat everybody to it. In fact, last year, uh, Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC, um, 
I just so happened to come across the Houston Chronicles, who was the first newspaper to, to put that out. And I was like, I beat everybody. And I had over 10,000 views within like three hours. So, um, yeah, whenever a big story comes out, of course, you want to beat everybody to it. But there's not a big story every day. So I like to think outside the box and, you know, think of things that maybe other people aren't talking about. I've talked about West Virginia to the ACC for 10 months. And the crazy thing is I've probably done about seven or eight videos on that subject just in a different way. You can do multiple videos on the same exact subject just with a different twist from a different angle. So it's all about making the subject interesting. It's not about finding the subject. It's about making the subject interesting because I, all you have to do is go on to ESPN.com. There's like 30 stories right there. It's all in how you approach it and if you can make it interesting from your angle. Have you done uh, What If Rich Rod Hadn't Thrown the 2007 Pit Game Yet? Uh, <laughs> no, but now I'm thinking about it. There you go. <laughs> that one's for free. Next one, <laughs> gotta pay me. <laughs> I got you. No, man, that that's uh, I mean, that would have changed college football history, not just West Virginia history. Yeah, that's the one uh, that was my man. freshman year in college at WVU. Um, we went to the game, and man, awful. So we went back to I, I lived in Towers at the time. Um, we went back and weren't old enough to go to a bar, so um, ordered a whole bunch of pizza, and we each ate a box of pizza. <laughs> I wasn't at that game, but even watching it on TV, not only watching the quietness in the stadium, but the quietness, because there was like 20 of us watching the game, the quietness in the, like, it, something didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. like, it didn't feel real. It didn't, it felt like a, a nightmare, a bad dream or something. I was like, man, this is, you know, when you get in those awkward silences or, you know, maybe early in your dating and you didn't know what to talk about, it was like one of those moments where you're like, what do we do next? Uh, should, yeah. I talk? should I let them talk first? Should I stand up? Should I should I breathe? What should I do next? It was it was very strange. It's it funny was. you bring that up because that's exactly what I was gonna say. The the oddest part and the, the first thing I think of when I think of that game is after the game because I was there too. The silence of just you know walking back to the car with your head down like I've never heard Morgantown that quiet. No one even knew what to say to each other. Yeah. It, 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 it was it's so like, weird. Not what people expect. It wasn't like anger and throwing things and cussing and or even crying. It was just stillness, quiet, like just total. Your emotions were you didn't have any emotions for like three days after that game. Like your emotions were sucked out of you. I'm waiting yeah. for a, a plaintiff firm to pick up the, a lawsuit for uh, emotional damage against Rich Rod <laughs> for that game. I don't know. I'll jump on that uh, class act. <laughs> Instead of messing with the Theliotoma commercials, we'll have a 2007 WB Pitt commercial. Yeah, I mean, it really did. Oh, yeah. Well, that is a sad note to end the podcast on. But um, you got anything else, Brandon? No, that was it. Yeah, that was it. I mean, we've been going for a while, but, um, you know, Golden Blue, dude, I can't thank you enough. This was fun. And, um, you know, I would love to run it back in a few months, especially as football approaches and just, um, you know, chat more. Yeah, me too. And and I'm glad you said what you said as far as it was fun. That's uh, if you do an interview with me or if you watch a video and your reaction was, hey, that was fun. Then I'm like, I did it again. 
Yes. I'm not yes. looking for, oh, he's right. Or uh, what an idiot. I'm looking for, hey, that was entertaining because as a YouTuber, my job is to entertain and to take you away from your stresses of life, even if it's just for a couple minutes. That's my job. Yeah, 100%. Is YouTube the best place to find you for everyone listening? Yes, it is. That's uh, that's where I pump out the videos for sure. <clears throat> awesome. Yeah, so guys, just look for Gold and Blue Dude on YouTube. If you don't already, I'm sure a lot of you already do. And um, that's about it for me. Got anything to add, Brandon? Yeah, for anyone who's listening on uh, Gold and Blue Dude's channel right now, make sure you give us a follow on whatever podcast platform you listen on. Um, if you don't listen to podcasts, Now's a good time to start because we have a lot of great content on there for you to listen to, especially during the slow off season. Yeah, we don't really jump on the YouTube uh, for our content. We probably should, but, you know, mainly, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just about any other platform. If you guys are looking for us, just look for the Voice of Motown podcast. And, and thanks again, Go Blue Dude. This was great. Um, again, tons of fun and uh, look forward to the next time we jump on one of these together. Oh, absolutely, guys. Just uh, hit me an email or message me, man. I'll, I'll be glad to come on. I had fun, too. This is All right. a fun show. For sure. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. Later. Thanks, everyone.